Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson that we're going to read at this time is for this 13th Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. Indeed, Moses writes this about the righteousness that comes by the law. The one who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that comes by faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. Certainly if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and it is with the mouth that a person confesses, resulting in salvation. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord is Lord of all, who gives generously to all who call on him. Yes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. Our second reading is actually our gospel for today from Matthew chapter 16, beginning at the 13th verse. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but you, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded. It is the Old Testament reading for this Sunday, recorded in Exodus chapter 34, beginning at verse 5. The Lord came down in in the cloud, He took a stand there with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and overflowing with mercy and truth, maintaining mercy for thousands, forgiving guilt and rebellion and sin. He by no means cleared the guilty. He calls their children and their children's children to the account for the guilt of the fathers, even to the third and fourth generations. Moses quickly bowed down to the ground and worshipped. 
He said, if I have now found favor in your sight, Lord, please let the Lord go along with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our guilt and our sin and accept us as your possession. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and, of course, heirs of everlasting life in Christ Jesus alone, I will honestly say that the hardest part in preaching a sermon is not to just come up with the sermon or come up with words to say, because you can always preach the text as we ought to, and there is also always something to say. But I will say this, that the hardest part in preaching a sermon is actually to come up with earthly terms that describes how wonderful, awesome, great, and majestic our Lord is. Just even saying those words is not even good enough. Because the Lord is greater than all of that. He's even to say that he is the wonder of the wonders and the great of the greatness is even pale because he's even greater and more glorious than that. So when we hear the Lord describe himself, he's using earthly terms. But he's not using these earthly terms to, to simply show off. But instead he uses these earthly terms to help us understand who he is and what he has done for us. And that is beyond all wonder and greatness and majesty. When the Lord revealed his holy name and revealed himself to Moses, it was actually after he commanded Moses to chisel out a second set of stone tablets. The first set had been destroyed. Remember that on the stone tablets, God himself wrote with his own finger the Ten Commandments. That first set was destroyed because the Israelites had created a golden calf and was breaking the very first commandment, which says, you shall have no other gods. And they went and exchanged the one true God for a golden calf, which represented the fake gods of the Egyptians, from, from whom the Lord took them from. Remember that land of slavery. So now, after the whole episode of the golden calf and the destruction of it, the Lord is now inviting Moses to come back up on Mount Sinai, bring another set of stone, and the Lord himself will write with his very finger the Ten Commandments. This set of stone we know from the Holy Scriptures was eventually kept in the Ark of the Covenant along with the jar of manna and along with Aaron's staff that had turned into a snake and back into a staff again. So as he goes up on the mountain with these two tablets of stone, Moses had a unique and wonderful and beautiful request. He asked the Lord if he could see his glory. In other words, he was asking the Lord if he could see him face to face. The Lord made it very clear that no human being can see his face and live, especially no sinful human being can see his face and live. So he put him in a crevice in the rock, put his hand in front of him, and the Lord was in the cloud and ended up passing by in front of him. And when he finally did remove his hand, all he could see was like a shadow of his backside. 
So when it came to the Lord revealing himself, he didn't reveal himself by sight. That's what Moses wanted. But he revealed himself by his word. For as he went to by in front of Moses, even though his hand had covered from Moses being able to see his full glory, the Lord proclaimed his holy name, the Lord. In fact, he says it twice, Lord, the Lord. Now, you'll notice that this is in all four capital letters, referring to that four-letter Hebrew word, and, and it was the very similar word that was used at the burning bush, and Mer Moses was very familiar with this word. For it was Moses in the beginning, when the Lord called him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, it was Moses who said, who should I say is sending me? And the Lord replied, tell them, I am, I am who I am, that's who's sending you. So that's translated Lord. It's actually a verb being used as a noun. The word Lord that's used here is actually not the word literally I am, but rather the word he is. And it comes from the same verb. It's the same word, just a different pronoun. If God is I am or he is, then that means that all the other false gods, which don't exist because there's only one true God, then they clearly are the I am nots or the he is not. Only the Lord exists. Only the Lord is real. He is. And the I am. He is the Lord. And what was this to mean? Well, he is the gracious and compassionate God. Oh, to be compassionate? It's, it's a word that is used in the Old Testament to describe the compassion that a father has for his child, a faithful father. And so the Lord, in his faithfulness to us, is like a father who looks upon his children. But a father doesn't just have compassion. It is as a father who protects us, even sends the guardian angels to encamp around us. This is the very one who provides for us. This is the one who watches over us. This is the one who promised that surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And along with this grace and or this grace and, and compassion comes these words, slow to anger. Literally in the Hebrew, it's long of nose. And when someone sees a nose flare up, you know that person is snorting with anger. So if you're long to anger, long of nose, that means you are long-suffering. You are patient. We have a patient God. And that patient is seen in this. He overflows with mercy and truth. The word mercy here is another one of those beautiful words, and I'm glad that it's translated mercy. Some translate this word as unfailing love or unending love, or some just translate it love. But it's actually more than that. Mercy really captures it well because mercy paints for us the picture of a courtroom where the person who is guilty, and, and we are all guilty of our sins, has to cry that beggar's prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it is by the mercy and the grace and that undeserved love of our judge and our king and our Lord 
that we are dearly loved. This mercy also includes truth. Not that he's just one true philosophy among many. He is the truth. He is the absolute truth. And the Lord being the truth means that he is faithful in his holy word, which is never a lie. But the truth is also seen in the promises he makes. For the promises he makes, he always keeps. We can always take him at his word. This mercy and truth, this is maintained for thousands. In other words, an unlimited amount. In other words, for everyone, this mercy and truth of our God. And along with it, his love is not just saying, I love you, but it's seen. And it's seen especially this way, forgiving guilt and rebellion and sin. Those who attend my Bible classes know that I have shared oh, a number of times how there's actually three words for sin in the Old Testament. And these are the three words. The three words that are used to describe sin, they're all beautiful picture words. The first one is iniquity, also translated oftentimes guilt. Iniquity is, is that picture of, of falling short and not measuring up to God's high standard of perfection. Anytime we fall short of that, we are sinners who dearly need a Savior. The other word, rebellion, is oftentimes translated transgressions. Stepping over the forbidden line. God tells you, do not cross this line. And, every, and we sin by every time we cross this line. And that shows its ugly head in being rebellious. And rebellious with selfishness. Thinking we know what's better. And the last word here, sin, is the same word that's used in the New Testament. It is the picture of an archer always hitting the bullseye. And if you miss the bullseye, you're missing the mark, and that's considered a sin. God demands that we hit the bullseye when it comes to his holy word and law every time. But we have fallen short of that. But now we hear he is forgiving guilt, rebellion, and sin. The word even forgiving is a unique word because it literally means to take away. He doesn't just simply forgive us by saying he forgives us, but he actually takes it away. He actually takes away from his sight so that he keeps no record of wrongs and does not hold our sins against us. To be forgiven by the Lord is free and complete. But once again, the Lord didn't just say you were forgiven. In order to take away these sins, he himself had to do something. So when we heard the Phoenician woman last week describe Jesus as Lord, Son of David, she was describing Jesus as this Lord. When we hear of Thomas after the resurrection of Jesus cry out, my Lord and my God, when he saw the nail marks and seeing Jesus alive who conquered death, this is the Lord he's speaking of. This is the one who lived that perfect life. This is the one who gave his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. God demanded a punishment for sins, and Jesus endured it for us. And because of that sacrifice, because he suffered that punishment, and the guilt, and the rebellion, and the sin, 
in Christ Jesus alone we are saved. God's invitation is that through faith in him we are saved. And even that faith is a gift of God by the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Once again, God doesn't just say I'm forgiven. He gave us life and paid for those sins. This is why you and I live with the greatest gift we could ever have, with the greatest need that our souls so yearn for, the forgiveness of sins. And where there is forgiveness, there is the sure hope of everlasting life in heaven. We call this the gospel. The Bible does. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of salvation. This is the good news found in God's name. But our God is not just a God of the gospel, but he's also the God of the law as well. Because God has forgiven us of our sins, the worst thing we could ever do is to take that forgiveness for granted. The worst thing, and one of the worst things we could do is to take it for granted to the fact that we may be tempted to think, well, God will forgive me because he has to forgive me, and therefore if I sin, it's okay, because I'll repent later and God will forgive me later. Do not mock God. Under the law, he makes it very clear here. He will by no means clear the guilty. This is a God who hates sin. And therefore, just because we receive the forgiveness of sins doesn't mean we should ever, ever take sin lightly like it's no big deal. No, in fact, he goes and says this. He calls their children and their children's children to the account for the guilt of the fathers, even to the third and fourth generations. Many people really struggle with this verse because it almost sounds like, wait a minute, if my father committed a sin, I'm held accountable to it? I have to suffer for the sin he did that I didn't commit, but that he committed? That's not exactly what the Lord is saying here. Think of two things. One is, sin is not just the actual sins I commit. I've inherited a sinful nature. It goes back to Adam and Eve. Remember, even the children of Adam, the Bible tells us they were born in Adam's image, not in God's image. In the image of, in the image of selfishness and sin. And so we've inherited that sinful nature. And at the heart of that sinful nature is selfishness. So yes, the selfishness that my father has done is the same selfishness I'm still committing. And God does not take that lightly. In fact, he hates it. And the other thing to keep in mind is that these very words are also a little play on words. Remember, his love goes to a thousand. His hate for sin goes to the third and fourth generation. What God is making very clear here, he does not take sin lightly. He hates sin. But his love is greater than his hate. And it is out of love, by that undeserved love, by that mercy and truth, that you and I are forgiven and saved eternally. Moses' reaction he went down and humbled himself. He worshiped the Lord. He bowed down and along with it said these words. 
If I have now found favor in your sight, Lord, please let the people go along with, please let the Lord go along with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our guilt and our sin and accept us as our possession. Because of the golden calf and the episode with the golden calf, the Lord told them that they would not be his possession. The Lord told them that he would not go with them. Moses is pleading for himself and for his people. Lord, do not reject us. Forgive us. Make us your own. Because we belong to you. Without the Lord, we are truly lost. Yes, he admits they are a stiff-necked people. Yes, he admits we are sinful human beings. But only, Lord, by your grace and mercy are we forgiven and saved. Another way to look at these words is to think of the explanation that Dr. Martin Luther used for the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Martin Luther would write, what does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We fear the Lord by certainly under the law that, that shows us our sins and a need for a Savior, but also under the gospel we fear the Lord because we do not want to hurt the Lord that has made us and saved us. Oh, we live um, loving the Lord, and, and it is a love for the Lord that comes from the Lord. For without the love of the Lord for us, our love means nothing. Remember the word of God that said we love because he first loved us. His love is 100% giving and 0% taking. And we have an opportunity to love him, especially in the way we even treat one another. And to trust in him. This is to trust in him by taking his word for what it is. It is God's word. And it's 100% true. We trust in his promises. And even this love, trust, this, this fear, love, and trust in God above all things is, is the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, trusting in the Lord who has, again, made us and saved us. To fear, love, and trust in God above all things, the reason we do it is because there is only one God and there is no other. I understand that there are many out there that believe in all kinds of other gods, but the truth is they're fakes and frauds. There is only one God, and the one true God. We confess, we believe, we teach, and we take to heart is the Lord. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.